0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hi. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, Thursday night. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next 90 minutes. I want to say hello to all of our listeners most of you are in south florida a couple of you like myself are in the midwest and uh, i think we have a couple of people who are actually overseas too which is pretty cool uh so welcome everyone great to have you uh if you're interested in give us a call in the studio you can reach us at 347-326-9461 it's not actually a studio it's an online studio we don't have our own space or anything although i wish we did i think that'd be pretty uh as the kids would say legit. But uh, so we're online and uh, you can reach us at that number. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we can talk about just about whatever you're interested in. Uh, as usual, I'm uh, flanked by my, uh, my good friend and a loyal co-host, Duke. What's going on? How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good, man. How about
2: you?
1: Uh, I'm all right. It's, uh, it, it won't stop raining up here in the Chicagoland area. So it's pretty much turned into a, a mosquito nest so I can't really go outside and uh, please with the weather. I like humid weather, but I'm not really okay with what's going on out here. It's just been a disgusting summer thus far. We're also joined by uh, our good friend, uh, uh, Louis. How's it going?
2: Doing all right, guys. How about you guys?
1: I'm doing fine. We're both sandy. Uh, Anything... uh, on your guys' mind before we go ahead and start up with uh, tonight's program, I already put out the, the call number. So if there's anything that, that strikes you, not an incredibly uh, lively week for dolphins news. Really, everyone's getting ready for. I mean, everything from uh, training camp to preseason uh, is uh, right around the corner, and really, the two thousand fifteen season is going to be here before we know it, which I think is really exciting to everyone. July is last month that stands football. For the year, so and we're all excited to see what what happens on the field this year. You know, but really, we talk about every week just how promising this team is going forward and the the great things that it can do, the the great opportunities it's been presented with this year, and you hope that they're able to capitalize on most, if not all, of everything that they have in front of them. <clears throat> all right, we'll just get right to it. I saw the Finiders do a really awesome take. The the Fin writers do an awesome uh, little spiel about this the other day. And I, I like the the way that they did it, and I hope to conduct myself in a similar manner. Uh, I want to call attention to the actual material, not the act itself, but our, <clears throat> our favorite South Florida beat writer, favorite Dolphins beat writer, uh, last week uh, put out, I think it was last week or early this week, uh, we, over the weekend. A few days with, ago. Uh, 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 thank you. Was tweeting out that uh just a, a bunch of stuff that was pretty much uh to the well, to the effect that uh Dan Marino was uh inferior to a lot of today's quarterbacks and specifically quote unquote wasn't good enough. I don't want to call attention to the actual act because it's it's just clickbait. I know a lot of beat writers across the country, a lot of people involved with internet writing do it. I don't have a problem most of the time. It, a lot of people, especially ESPN, ESPN is as guilty of this as anyone. You're just trying to create a stir. You're trying to create page views, page clicks. You're trying to build up traffic. You're trying to build up a buzz. I get that. But uh, to, to go after, I mean, s- someone uh, whom most South Floridians, I would say, it's got to be 99% Dolphins fans, maybe more. Uh, Revere is the greatest of all time. You know, I mean, certainly the best, the, the greatest Dolphins, or the greatest player in Dolphins history, uh, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't need the championships to validate that. Uh, to go after Dan Marino is, is tricky business in South Florida, and I don't know if it worked out uh, in terms of the the response that was gathered. I, I don't know if, if, I'm sure there was increased clicks, increased page views, and if that's the case, then mission accomplished on that writer's front, and that's fine. But at one point, do you just realize that you just don't drag the Hall of Famers, the all-time great, uh, through the mud like that? A, a Hall of Fame career, and a guy who many of us, I, and I often say this when I defend Dan and it feels ridiculous that I have to defend him, but Dan says Throughout the 80s and much of the 90s, just the Dolphins could not put it all together around him. He either had an outstanding receiver core, no run game, and no defense, and then you get into the 90s, and all of a sudden he's got an outstanding line in front of him. I mentioned on Twitter that uh, from the time that Sam Reno's used or that he's drafted uh, in 1983 in the first round, the Dolphins don't make another impact, impactful selection in the first round until 1990, with Richmond Webb. In the NFL, that is a significant amount of time for a player to wait for a team to really land on. It. And they draft Keith Sims in the second round that year. So all of a sudden, the the left side of the the Dolphins' line is completely uh, reinforced, solidified. Richmond Webb, one of my all-time favorite Dolphins in history. In the 90s, the Dolphins, I remember early on, they had the running back by committee. I mean, Bernie Parmalee was playing for them, and the story was that he had previously been working for UPS. Uh, And then they start to bring in some guys, and it seems ridiculous to look at uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as one of of the better running backs the Dolphins had in the 90s, but that's what happened. And then the team with Jimmy Johnson starts to get more defense-oriented. The 1997 draft, arguably one of the best in Dolphins history. They bring in uh, Sam Madison. Well, unless that you're in the first round. They bring in Sam Madison. They bring in Jason Taylor. And, I mean, those are franchise-changing picks, and they made two of them in the same draft. So, and, and Tim Bowens is an important guy. They brought him in in 1994. So, you're bringing these guys in that are impressive on the defensive side of the ball, and those Dolphins teams had a decent running game. Uh, outstanding defense, Zach Thomas, too, uh, comes in in 1996. Just incredible players on the defensive side of the ball, and the receiver core just wasn't that good, which is, it seems ri- ridiculous to look at Dan Marino's career and say, like, yeah, he didn't have good receivers at that point, but uh, when you adjusted for what he was working with early in his career, they weren't that good. So this team just won – for one reason or another, and I'm not placing blame solely on the front office or on Don Shule because I love Don Shula, I have nothing bad to say about him. But they missed on a lot of potential draft selections during that time. And it hurt them. It hurt them big time. And when they weren't, when they really whiffed, like, uh, and I mean, I understand everyone passed up on Thurman Thomas in the first round of 1988, but Thurman Thomas haunts Dan Marino through the early 90s. Those Dolphins teams were good. They get, the AFC, they get to the AFC Championship game in 1992, and then they, they can't get around. I mean, granted, Buffalo's offense, that run the K-gun, uh, just a real breakneck, uh, up-tempo offense, a lot of really strong weapons, an excellent quarterback in Jim Kelly, but Thurman Thomas was the glue in that offense, and he just murdered the Dolphins. I just... <laughs> just being a kid and having nightmares about that team. So all that is to say that it's just incredibly unfair to compare Dan Marino's career to if you're comparing him to Joe Montana, or you're comparing him to Terry Bradshaw, or even comparing him to a a guy, a lot of people compared him to early on, which was uh, Joe Namath. Or if you want to compare him to Tom Brady, which brings us back to the discussion this weekend, I see zero point in comparing Tom Brady with Anne Marino, there's unless you're looking for clickbait, I don't understand the the end game there. It, it just it makes zero sense to me, and it makes zero sense to a lot of people because a lot of people got upset about it. But the one thing I want to make clear: uh, you can be as upset as you want about this kind of stuff, but if you click on the material and you're reading it, you're ultimately helping serve that discussion's purpose. Which means you're you're only you're really only hurting yourself, and you're bringing more acclaim to the person talking about. It. So if you really dislike it, ignore it. Stay, I, I mean, we're talking about the actual topic, I could I couldn't care less about where it came from. The actual topic itself is absolutely ridiculous. But if you don't like it, don't read it, because clicks are all that matter. If you've looked at it, you've served you served its purpose, and then I mean there I mean you can go ahead and you can and haw about it all you want but I mean what's done is done so just keep that in mind because we live in a time where people say outrageous things and maybe the goal was to say the most outrageous thing and if you want clicks in South Florida talking about saying negative things about Dan Marino is a guaranteed way to get what you're looking for so those are just my thoughts on it I don't know if you guys want to discuss it a little bit Like I said, I don't want to bring any attention to the person who actually wrote it. We're all talking about the discussion. It's obviously clickbait. I don't care why that person wrote it, but I care that for kids who read, maybe they read uh, a lot of the football content that comes out through their favorite beat writers on Twitter, they start to read that stuff and they think, well, maybe Dan Reno wasn't that good. Maybe he was overrated. Maybe a lot of stuff that happened to the Dolphins was his fault. Maybe the the fact that he threw a lot of interceptions is absolutely the reason that he never won a Super Bowl.
2: You want to go first, Duke?
0: Well, I mean, to me, when you say things like that, it you can't you can't pump yourself up as a knowledgeable football person. Uh, a person who watches film, understands the game, has some kind of inside track or whatever you want to call it, inside knowledge or, uh, you know, a hot take on the game or whatever, how you want to put it, and then make a statement like that. You just can't do it. You can't sit there and, 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 and either is it a hubris and you're showing that I know more than you know or everyone else knows. Or it's just you've you've jumped in too deep of water and you're sinking. It's just, you know, I think it all boils back to the current Dolphins quarterback. I think a lot of the stuff that – a lot of the overall argument has to do with arguments that have been made about Tannehill. And when you – the arguments that have been made, uh, they're – time of weak to begin with. They don't. They don't hold a lot of water, and so when you put them up against an all-time great, possibly the greatest quarterback ever, and you try to use that same logic, this starts falling apart. And so you either have to go back on your other stuff about Tannehill or you have to push this agenda forward, and it's you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I think that that's what that whole discussion was about. It's about QB wins and quarterback rating and all these stupid arguments that don't really apply that are kind of rudimentary ways of looking at football as you know you see a lot of stuff on twitter it's it's box school watching you don't actually get into the intricacies of the game by looking at that kind of stuff but when that's what you've used to criticize tannahill and oh let's put that stuff up against Marino, and you're like oh my arguments against tannahill aren't so good anymore you're kind of screwed so that's kind of what that is and like I want to reiterate something that you were talking about. There's a lot of young people that are influenced by stuff like this, and that's what they see. There are people out there who think Andy Dalton is a better quarterback than, than Ryan Tannehill because he, he's got more wins. He's been to the playoffs. And it's dumb. It, it's lack of football knowledge. It's it's flipping on ESPN and hearing somebody say something or reading the newspaper and reading what somebody says. and You oh, know, yeah, that's that's – you know, it's on the Internet. Abraham Lincoln said it's on the Internet. It must be true. It's just, it's just dumb. And it's just promoting ignorance. It's, I don't know, and just, that, that's all I got to say about it. It's just, that's the worst part to me, is just the promoting stupid ideas to people who are going to listen to it. And even if it is clickbait, but, there, there are people who read this and listen to that and think, yeah, that makes sense. Van Marino wasn't that good because he didn't win. Hey, uh, you know. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. He must be better. I Man, it's just—it's stupid.
1: Yeah, it hurts the game ultimately. I and I don't. I'm not. Coming, I want to get Lewis's take on it too. But the one thing you just mentioned there, and I kind of touched on it too, and I want to bring more attention to it is the fact that the one uh, impression I've I've gotten during my time working for the FinSider and hosting this show is that a lot of our a lot of our readers and a lot of our listeners are interested in what's going on in football now. But a lot of them weren't either weren't alive or really just don't have that much interest in a lot of the stuff that the Dolphins have achieved during their their NFL tenure, you know, since they were introduced in 1966. So it it worries me that their first introduction to a lot of the to the history part of the game is seeing stuff like, well, Tom Brady is just better than any of those guys. Tom Brady may in fact go go down as yeah, I, say that, I would say that he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I mean, that team didn't win four Super Bowls just because he's mediocre. But this is the ultimate team sport. We always say that. I keep hearing that. That's what I think. And then you look and well, I hear that, well, the reason they had four Super Bowls is because of him. I think Bill Belichick had a lot to do with that. That you notice that it was really hard for those guys to get back to the Super Bowl and win it after that outstanding defense they had in the early 2000s started to fall apart. When all of the all of a sudden, like these guys, like you know, Teddy Bruschi is getting older, he's hurt. Uh, Ted Washington was a huge contributor to that team early on. A lot of these guys that were big time players, I think Mike Frable's another one. A lot of these guys who were in Ty Law too. A lot of these guys who were outstanding players, and they start to go away, and all of a sudden. I understand that Tom Brady almost got that team to the Super Bowl in or 2006 season with a very pedestrian receiver core. I get that. He had a good run. He had a good season. But that doesn't take away from the fact that that defense that year played well, that they had a lot of things going for them. His offensive lines have, for the most part, been very good. Wasn't it the five layers of visa protection at one point? So it's the ultimate team game. There are a lot of nuances and intricacies that go into each team's success. Like you want to compare Dan Marino to Joe Montana. Joe Montana had an outstanding running game with Roger Craig early on. And obviously, I mean, he's with her and he's got Dwight Clark and he's got uh, John Taylor. He's got good receivers. And then he's given, I mean, just by an absolute gift of God, he gets Jerry Rice. And, I mean, really, the rest is history. And even into the post-Montana era. And that that 49ers defense, 1984, the year that they went to the Super Bowl and defeated the Dolphins, 38, 15, and Super Bowl 19, that was the number one defense in the, in the league that year. That was an outstanding defense, just like Terry Bradshaw wasn't the only reason that the Pittsburgh Steelers won four Super Bowls in the 1970s. You know, we, we could, without that defense, Maybe we're talking about them losing to Fran Tarkenton and the Minnesota Vikings. Maybe we were talking about last week about how Oakland had some bad luck running into Pittsburgh so often in the 1970s. Maybe we're talking about Ken Stabler winning three Super Bowls instead of those guys running into Pittsburgh every year. There's a lot that goes into this. So it's incredibly disingenuous to say that, well, Tom Brady was just better because he has more Super Bowls. In fact, I think the only argument you can have there is Tom Brady won more Super Bowls than Dan Marino. Which guy did you want on your team? I've heard often, I don't know if I would use the term system quarterback for Tom Brady, but I know that the Patriots have a highly, uh, highly intricate, developed system on offense. Always have been. His best years, like with Charlie Weiss, which in my opinion was when that team was just incredibly hard to knock off. There was a system in place. You've heard guys like Bill Walsh say that the Dolphins didn't use the system with Dan Marino. Dan Marino was the system. And I totally agree with that. Did it end up working out for him? No, I think the Dolphins let him down a little bit, and it hurts me to say that. But I mean, that's that's history, and that's the way that I I believe it to be fact. If you don't think so, go look through the drafts that the that team uh, that team executed between 1984 and really the rest of uh, Dan's career, say, for a few years. So I want to get Lewis to take. I've been talking about this a lot, just because yeah, this is a topic from no, near and dear to.
0: There's one more thing I want to bring up real quick. That you talked about Dan Marino being the system. Uh, I read something several years ago that Bill Simmons wrote, and he was talking about the rules. I think the rule changes with the receivers and stuff, and he said something about that some, somewhere out there, Dan Marino wakes up and, and sees the, new, the way the football, the way the game is played today and thinks, man, I was just born too early.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, he, he hangs 48 touchdowns in, in 1984 when the previous record was 36. And that was in an era where you could just hammer receivers. I mean, right. can you imagine what, he, what I mean, he'd do in the, hand, in the hands-off era? The guy would, what, he'd throw 60 a year.
0: I mean, we look at, we're, we're in an era now where uh, where Matthew Stafford has thrown for 5,000 yards. No one no one thinks of him as any elite quarterback. But we, we have an era where people are doing it now, like seemingly every year. And no one did it until a few years ago, except Marino. He was the only one that did it. And so, it, that was part of the discussion too. Was that people were saying, "Well, Marino played in today's era, that he was throwing for you know 400 yards a game or something like that." And, and the response was, "The fans are just romanticizing about Marino." I'm like, "That just shows a complete, it, it's just total incompetence, really. It just shows that you are uh, do not understand what you were talking about." And while we're on that, you know, you mentioned Jerry Rice, his. Uh, the, he in question, his, his BFF uh, said on Twitter that uh, Jerry Rice was a jag, that he wasn't as good as everyone thinks he is. And uh, Elliot Harrison for uh, NFL.com put up an article a week or so ago about uh, NFL records that will not be broken. He said, Odell Beckham Jr. had probably one of the best rookie years as a receiver ever. He had 91 catches, I don't remember how many yards, and 12 touchdowns. He said, "If he did that for 15 straight years, he would still fall short of Jerry Rice." But Jerry Rice is just a jag, and these people talking discuss football to a mass audience—it's, <clears throat> yeah.
2: Just I, I thought, I, I'm gonna leave it there.
1: Jerry Rice is an incredible I guy, Lewis. <laughs> let's hear it.
2: First of all, I just I did I just wanted to say that I love how we're kind of skirting around the names, like we like everybody we're, that's listening does not know who we're talking about here. Yeah. I don't think that
1: we're not in any question of that, but I don't want to bring attention to that. It's now we need to do the damage control and make sure that if this gets out to anyone who's like, we have some impressionable fans, people who maybe aren't as well versed in the team's history. And that kind of, that kind of almost revisionist history just can't, I mean, you can't put that stuff out there. So, I mean, that's, that's why I don't care about the writer. I have no interest in talking about that, but anyway, continue
2: yeah i'm 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 gonna just say this part first before I go into the actual uh, comments made. I can I was actually on a podcast yesterday, and uh, he talked he, the host of the show told me about how this writer was actually the first writer that he ever uh, followed on Twitter. In fact, he followed him exclusively for a long time. And I also followed him for a very long time just just him because simply put, he tweets more than any other writer out there. I mean, I, I, I now have a higher respect than anybody else for these other guys over this guy because they just do their job better. But when I first started out on Twitter, it was this guy because every other, day, every other five minutes, there was more tweets, more tweets, more stuff to read, more things coming my way. Uh, the other guys, they don't. They tweet every once in a blue moon, and it's usually to say that they wrote a new article. It's not so much to actually interact with fans. So I can understand why people would go to this writer first. But this is the thing. Now you, now that you've learned a little, you know how things function. You follow other Dolphins fans who know what they're talking about, and they can say, "Look, this is how it really works." You have to kind of graduate from that. Time to get, time to stop drinking from the baby bottle and start learn and start eating some real food. Now you get into, this is how it works. with This, this QB rating crap is, is, is just that. It's crap. You have to move past that. Time to move on. That's the thing. But people keep coming back to this guy because now it's what he's saying. What is he saying? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even disagreeing with some of the stuff he said. Listen, I cannot deny that Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Can't deny that. It's fact. I got it. I accept it. I don't like it, but I accept it. I cannot deny... That, it, that Brady has won more championships than him. Can't deny that. It's a fact. We can argue the logistics of it all we want. It's a fact. He won more than Marino. Got it. Totally get it. Where he made the most stupid thing ever was when he said, and these are the only words that really sparked this whole thing. Otherwise, he would have been just fine. I really think so. He said that Dan Marino was not good enough to win a Super Bowl. That was it. That was the only thing that... But that one thing was enough to spark this entire outrage. Everything else he had said, it was pretty much fact. Yes, Brady won more Super Bowls. Yes, Marino never won a Super Bowl. But you went out and had the unmitigated gall to say Marino wasn't good enough. Okay, do you remember who we're talking about here? We're talking about a man who broke every passing record in the book and, and, for, and held those records for a very long time. And even still, he still holds some of those records, I believe it's not, it's not like all his records have been broken already. And this is in a super passing league where passing the ball is pretty much the only way to move forward. Because unless you have somebody like beast Mode or Adrian, 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 I'm sorry, Adrian Peterson, you're not going to run the ball back then running the ball was pretty much how you made things work. Marino And like Duke said, if you have Dan Marino in this year, in this kind of an era, this kind of a passing league, he would break every record in the book all over again, but do it in just five seasons. That's all he would need. And that's with uh, an offensive line like Tannehill has because he already did it once before. He didn't have all the pieces going around him. He he won uh, regular season games. I can't say playoffs because he didn't win very well in the playoffs, but that's a team issue again. He, he won games and made it to the playoffs over and over and over and over again in spite of his team. And so many people want to ignore the fact that you need a team to win a Super Bowl. Even the Patriots, Brady has won four Super Bowls. Yeah, no, Brady didn't win four Super Bowls. The New England Patriots won four Super Bowls. It's not that easy. And so many um, enablers out there, like this writer, of course. And ESPN is one of the worst offenders of this, this mentality that I have ever seen in my life. Every segment, it's about the quarterback. That's all that anybody cares about. And they, they, they cater to these casual fans. And, I, and I, don't want, I don't like to have to call out these casual fans because I understand not everybody's so into football that they're going to learn every single intricacy of the game. I understand that. So, they're going to turn on ESPN, see what's going on, look at the box score, oh, my team lost, and move on with their day. I understand that. But where I have an issue is where they don't make an effort to teach these people here's how it really works. If they have five minutes to look at the box score and hear them talk about the quarterback, they can have five minutes to learn about why the offensive line made it so the quarterback couldn't function properly. They can learn why the defense couldn't hold the game going. They can learn why the running game could not enable the quarterback to do his job. But no, they allow them people these people to think that the quarterback is all that matters, and the reason why is because it's the most marketable, marketable position. Well, you I'm can't gonna, I'm, make money. I'm what? I want to
0: interject something right here. I think you're hitting on a a deeper topic here. Um, and what you mentioned before is when we first got on Twitter, there were certain guys that you followed. I think social media, just the Internet in general. I mean, look at, look at this insider. I joined up in 2010, and it was already a pretty good-sized site then, but look at how it has expanded. And the knowledge of the people on the site, I mean, I have learned about football from talking with people, interacting with people on the site, discussing things, even if we don't agree eye-to-eye. Eye, but we, we, we can bounce ideas off, bounce opinions off, and we learn. Because, you know, we're all fans of the same team. We want the same thing. I don't care who we argue with on, on the website or any other Dolphins fan. If the Dolphins won the Super Bowl this year, we would all be hugging and screaming about it. That's just how it is. But I think what's happened is traditional media is falling behind. I mean, look at all the guys we follow on Twitter. There's so many people out there that are knowledgeable about the game that can interject opinions from all different sides, and people follow that. They want to you know, people that are on Twitter like us that that are into this stuff that's what they follow and these traditional beat riders are guys that they want they can't they can't hold up to that which is what of with espn with you know a lot of these uh, i mean one of the best football shows that i remember watching i, I can't remember the, the title of it, it was like uh and my mind just went blank anyways it was it had uh, ron Jaworski, merrill hodge and somebody and they would actually go over plays and now the nfl network has the uh they have like a f c playbook and n f c playbook uh every every Saturday you can watch for so they go over plays and they talk about the game there's just so many outlets for fans to get information that if you're just a regular guy like some of these beat writers are you have to resort to saying things uh and let's not and we touched on this a little bit but let's not put 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 it past the idea that person that may not believe it had to say something to get people's attention, not reading stuff. And you mentioned that these papers are putting out stuff all the time. that they have to do in order to get people to, to follow them. Otherwise, fans are going to get their information from other sources. I mean, when I first came on the site, people, it was kind of a joke. Well, this, this came from Bleacher Reports. Now, Bleacher Reports is putting out good stuff because they've hired good people. They brought in good an analysts. There's just so much information out there that, these riders can't keep
2: up to, you know, well, I don't want to go out and uh, talk about all of the guys because uh, look, there are, there are a few B riders out there who I have great respect for and I listen to them and I understand them. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to name drop a few of them. Barry Jackson, Andrew Averson, those guys know what they're doing and they do their job well. So I'm not gonna go and bl- and I'm I'm not gonna go and condemn every single one of these guys because a lot of these guys can do their job well. But again, it's back to the it's back to what I was saying before. It's that uh, you you look at ESPN, and I you know, I love watching uh there are there's sometimes every once in a while, just for laughs, I'll watch Sports Nation because I like to see people fall on their faces when they do the oh uh three tears for this person and I watch them fall on their face. That's funny. But Every once in a while, Marcellus Wiley will come out and they'll he'll do this segment called That Dudes Dudes. And this basically is just one big segment talking about the, the one position in the whole world that nobody even cares about. It's the offensive and defensive linemen, the big guys up front that pretty much control how the game runs from the beginning. And he analyzes all these the, the swim moves, the spins, how you pass rush properly? How you manage to keep your quarterback protected? That is the stuff that is considered the more advanced style of football. You know what? And you know what? And I don't can't think of many people besides us who would even care about that sort of thing because it's not glamorous. It's not ball watching. It's not where's the ball going? Is it? Is it time for a highlight reel? And you're not going to get any highlight reels from an offensive lineman. It's just not going to happen. They're not. They're not those super-powered athletes who can – well, they are athletes, but in a different sense of the word. But it's not glamorous. It's not wow-worthy. It's not something that you're going to pop your eyes open and think, wow, that was incredible. I can't wait to tell my friends about this and watch them, have them watch the play. That's not going to happen. It's not marketable. The quarterback position is the most marketable position that you can imagine. Everybody knows the quarterback of every single team. They may not know anything else, but they are going to know the quarterback. You know, you ask somebody about the Washington Redskins, the first name that's going to come to mind is Robert Griffin III. The, the Dolphins is going to be either T- Cameron Wake, who is because he's a superstar, or Ryan Tannehill. You go to the Bengals, it's going to be Dalton because the quarterback. They market the quarterback. Patriots is Brady. Brady is the, quarter- is the quarterback. He is the Patriots. It's the same thing for Denver. It's the same thing for Green Bay. It's the same thing for all of these teams. The quarterback makes people the money. Everybody wants to hear about the quarterback. Because it's the easiest thing, it's the easiest thing to blame everything on, it's the easiest thing to give credit to, and it's it's it, it's become a point where it's 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 I don't know if I want to call it laziness, but it's so much easier to just talk about the quarterback all the time, and you're going to get your viewers because the quarterback is the most marketable. Everybody knows about their team's quarterback, their hometown team. Oh, like yeah, our quarterback, uh, Andy Dalton, he's really good, and then they, we've gone to the we've gone to the playoffs four straight years. Uh, yeah, you've gone to the playoffs, all right. But it's in spite of your quarterback, not because of your quarterback. I'm sorry to tell you, but those—that's why you have to—you have, you have to go on to um other sources of media. You have to find these guys on Twitter, and like like you and uh, Keith and Duke and uh, Kevin and uh, Matt—all these guys who know what we're talking about because we have analyzed and we have made it a point to learn about the game of football because we want to understand our team better. We want to know where, why, how, all of these other questions. We don't just want to hear about the what. We want to know why things happen the way they do. We want to know where this team needs to improve specifically. It's not always about the quarterback. And so many new fans, I, I wish I could go and make it. I wish I had enough of a platform that I could learn, that I could tell all these casual fans to watch ESPN. I want to hijack their feed and say, hey, wake up. This is not how it works. There's offensive linemen. There's running backs. There's defensive players. All of these people who get no credit for anything that they do, and it's because you're all worried about what the quarterback is doing. It's not that easy. You want to learn? Do you want to be knowledgeable, or do you want to just be a box score? If you want to be a box score watcher. Please do us all a favor. do not try and talk about football and try to analyze the team. You don't know how it works. I wish i could. if you want to learn then by all means let's let us teach you how it works if you're not if you're not interested in learning and you just want to blame the quarterback all day, please do us all a favor. Be quiet and step back.
0: You know, that was I, a think like baseball, I think it's why baseball kind of going downhill a little bit it's because it's such a it is an intricate sport that requires you know you can't just Casually watch a baseball game and kind of understand what's going on if you've not played it or something like that. Whereas basketball or football, you can kind of, you know, a play will happen. But, you know, and baseball has gotten so it's so stat driven that I, I, you know, it's like what Lewis is saying that, that there's these leagues are having to market stuff and quarterbacks, superstar players, or how you market the league. I mean, that's how you make your money, people. Uh, you know, they want not watch games because of Andrew Luck or because of Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or whoever. They don't They don't want to watch, you know, Brandon Albert, even though he was critical to the Dolphins' success. And what he brings to the team is very critical to how Ryan Tannehill plays. If Ryan Tannehill puts up the MVP caliber numbers, it's going to be because of his offensive line helping him, but nobody wants to watch that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how these leagues are having to work. But I think the ultimate the ultimate realization I've come to all of this is training camp just needs to get here uh, sooner than later.
1: Yeah. I'm convinced that ESPN fun- funnels its, uh, its best resources and writers into its magazine anyway, because I still get the magazine because I subscribe to their insider thing. And I read a lot of the, the articles that they, they print in their magazine and they're outstanding. I mean, the analysis and the research are all great the The writing is top notch. It's a really good product, and then you see what they have online, and it looks like it was put together by eight year olds. You know, it's awful, and you just think like, how could there be such a disparity between what I'm reading online and what I'm seeing in print? But I mean, I guess that's the, because the way money. It'll... Uh, 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 yeah, because <laughs> it's money
2: it's so much easier to make their money off of the... You can either make money off the casual fans by talking about the quarterback, or you can make money off the crazy fans by making them pay for the for the more intricate stuff.
1: I it's think that with, uh, with casual fans... <laughs> yes, it is indeed a business. I think with casual fans, I think it's, it's incumbent upon them to look more into the game. Yeah, you might be a casual fan, but look more to the team's history. Why... I, I find it hard to believe that more people don't watch the NFL or, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, the NHL, the NBA, any sport. They don't watch it. And I want to know more about how they did that. I think that I watched it and I know I'm not alone in this, but I watched sports and I think like, I wish I knew the mechanics behind that. I wish I knew how that play. I mean, yeah, they just scored, but how did that happen? it wasn't made possible by just one thing. There were several uh, components that went into that, that touchdown or that basket or that goal. So that kind of, or the, that three-run homer. So that's the kind of You'd stuff that i You'd be surprised, Pete. You'd be surprised. I, I've known well,
2: a lot of people I, who have... Yeah, I, I know. It, it sucks, though, because I've known a lot of people who watch the games because they want to root for their hometown team, but they're really not interested in how it happens. They just want to make sure
1: their team wins. That's really well, I mean, all I'm that really is
2: going
1: I'm, I'm not surprised by it, actually. Uh, now, I mean, it, it's hard to believe, but at the same time, I mean, this is the, the era we live in. I don't know. I've heard people blame Madden, the game before, or, or video games in general. I mean, I don't know. I enjoy <laughs> playing those. But I think that if I'm playing those games, I would have more of an idea of what's going on unless you're just randomly picking plays, typically you're trying to identify the plays that are best used in that in whatever scenario you're in. When you know if you're third and long or if it's, you know, fourth and fourth and goal from mm-hmm. the six six inch line. So I mean whatever. Uh, well, let me, about whatever Madden, the
0: cause thing, of Go ahead. Okay, about and one thing that I've noticed for myself is I have actually learned to pick up on defensive keys. Um, you know, how safety is positioned or whatever else to get my team in the right play on that. And so if I see a single high safety, I know what to do with my receivers. If I see, well, it's like cover two or whatever, I kind of know what to do. I can tell, you know, kind of what's going to happen. And, it, it, you know, and, of course, in reality, it's infinitely more difficult. But that's what quarterbacks have to do in, in in real life. You know, Tannehill gets up to the line of scrimmage. He has to see, all right, that safety's here this is what looks like. This is what I'm going to do. I need to make this play call, or I need to throw it to this particular spot because that's where it's going to be. That's where the the weakness is in the defense. So I think Madden has helped with stuff like that. People can um, kind of understand a little more, you know, on a more basic level, kind of what's going on there.
2: But then the one thing I want to with that, and that's where the problem comes in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean... There's several ways. I mean, you can look at it. one thing. I just want to bring up, though, uh, kind of tying this back into the whole Marino thing, because I know that it's a popular, it's a popular uh, negative thing to say anytime that there's a Marino video on YouTube or there's any sort of mention of him in social media. You always get some jackass who comes along and is like, "Well, he didn't win a Super Bowl." I mean, it's. Uh, I think the the Fin siders I always just want to call them Fin siders but I was like, "Yeah, I have to go ahead and clarify that." I think they called that excuse lazy, and I couldn't agree more. It's just like, it's just a go-to when you don't have anything else to point out. But one thing is whenever people bring that up and say, well, I didn't win a Super Bowl, and it's like, well, go ahead and tell me the quarterbacks who didn't win a Super Bowl. Let's compare. I mean, it seems disingenuous to go ahead and just pit one career against another. But if you want to turn it into that, and let's face it, uh, a lot of people on social media, a lot of fans out there today want to do that, go ahead and compare most of them, and I guarantee you most of the time, Dan Marino is the better quarterback. Now, if you want to compare it, like was Dan, was Joe Montana better in the clutch? I think they were both outstanding in the clutch. And I mean, if I'm taking the best pure quarterback, I'm obviously going to take Dan Marino. With Dan Marino, have won four Super Bowls with the uh, uh, the San Francisco Forty Nineers. I, mean, I don't know, uh, but it's not like you know when uh, you watch uh, Montana take down Cincinnati uh, at the end of. Uh, of their second Super Bowl, I believe that was a Super Bowl twenty-three. Uh, in that game, when he leads the, when San Francisco down the field to win that game, it's not like that was out of out outside of Marino's capability or grasp. How many times did Dan do that? He absolutely slaughtered teams late in games. He was a killer too. So I mean it. I that's not outside of his grasp. So, I mean, yeah, if you go ahead and switch places, maybe Dan's the one winning all those Super Bowls with the 49ers. Or maybe it's a bad fit because he's not a West Coast type guy. That could be it, too. I, I struggle to imagine Dan getting into the 49ers offense and being like, okay, I understand all these reads and everything. Because that's one thing Dan has admitted himself he wasn't very good at. He just found the open guy. Kurt Warner played in three Super Bowls. Do you think that Kurt Warner is a better quarterback than Dan Marino? That's not a rhetorical nope. question. You can answer or no. <laughs> you okay. said you, you said it was rhetorical after I answered, so. No, no, it's not rhetorical. You can answer with a yes or no. I'm not. I'm not talking just to hear myself talk here. I mean, I want. Oh, I want okay. to hear your guys' take on it. And I mean, you said this much. Uh, a quarterback I actually have a lot of respect for. Uh, liked him growing up, still like him, love his commentary, Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls. Is Troy Aikman a better quarterback than Dan Marino pound for pound?
0: No. Now, if Kurt Warner had had a career uh, like he had when he played in those Super Bowls, then I think he would enter that discussion. Um, He kind of had those down years with the Giants where he, you know, didn't look as good and you know, he, he had the great years with the Rams, kind of went down a little bit, and then went back up with the Cardinals. I think if he had sustained that over the course of, say, 10 years, I think he decided to said, well, this, this guy is one of the all-time greats. Not saying he's not already, but I think he would have been higher up on, on the board a little bit. But uh, I, I still don't think he would be as, as good as Marino, but um, I think that I don't think it was because necessarily of necessarily lack of skill. He was a very good passer. Uh, very active. He was, a, he was a
1: really good player, played on really, really good teams. And the, and the reason I compare oh, the St. Louis Rams, and the reason I compare the two is because they had that kind of thing where they both revolutionized the game in a lot of ways. I think that Kurt Warner kind of just brought a lot of, I mean, uh, I don't know if Lewis is old enough, but that 99 Rams team came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden it was the greatest show on turf. And I mean, those guys were just, it was it was weird because you just kept expecting that Rams team to fall off. I remember every every week that season I was like, well, this is the this is the week where they get they get absolutely smashed in by the 49ers who just at that point just owned the Rams. And I mean, the Rams just took it to them. Just absolutely just beat those guys down. So it became – and I typically look at that time in the league as that's when passing became really sexy again. Because, I mean, you look – I mean, it's – the reason I think it's kind of disingenuous to compare quarterbacks is because, well, I, I do believe that Dan Marino was a better quarterback than Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman was an excellent quarterback, just happened to play behind the most ungodly offensive line I've ever seen had a great defense on the other side of the ball. Emmett Smith. And he had quite a few weapons to yeah. go with it. Yeah. I mean, and Michael Irvin been, and Jane, Michael Jane, Alvin Harp, Harper was a big one. So he had a lot working for him. But the thing is, that was a team and that team was outstanding. You know, the team of the nineties. So when you, you look at these, but I mean, that was a, a run or a team that was excellent at running the football. You know, the, even when the Green Bay Packers were with Brett Favre, they were excellent at running the football. I mean, so on and so forth. And look at John Elway. John Elway was so close to being in the same boat as Dan Marino. And then Mike Shanahan comes to town, things, and then all of a sudden they start bringing these guys in, and the defense is playing better. All of a sudden they have a run game, something that was a pretty novel concept in Denver at one point. So at that point, John Elway wins two Super Bowls. It was a run-dominated era, and then the St. Louis Rams come in in 1999, and all of a sudden it's like, well, hell, look pass the football. This is awesome. These guys are tw- you know these guys are scoring 30, 40 points a game. So uh, I would actually I use the term revolutionized. I wouldn't say those guys revolution. I thought I thought Dan Marino revolutionized the game. I think that the Rams made it popular again. They brought it back to that where you know let's throw the ball, let's have fun. let were let's turn this into let's turn this into a wide open scoring affair, you know, like that, that 1984 Dolphins team where, I mean, those guys were just scoring boatloads of points every week. So, so, I mean, I, Kurt Warner, so that's why I compare the two. I thought Kurt Warner was an outstanding quarterback. Uh, And the fact that he was able to get back to the Super Bowl with the Cardinals late in his career, I think is one of the most impressive things he did. And I think that uh, if the coaching had been different, I think if they had had a different, Defensive coordinator. You know, I'm sorry to throw Clancy Pendergast under the bus, but I believe it's true. They had a different defensive coordinator, and he, I believe that Kurt Warner was sort of forced into throwing the ball to Anquan Bolden early in that game, and got away from Larry Fitzgerald. I think that if he had just stuck to what he did best and just get the ball to Larry Fitzgerald, I do think the Cardinals win that Super Bowl. I mean, nothing, nothing. Uh, I don't. No offense to Steelers fans or anything. But, so, anyway, the point of all this is you can go ahead and compare all these quarterbacks. I mean, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Jeff Hostetler won a Super Bowl. Nobody's going to take those guys over Dan Marino. No way. Now, Brad Johnson, I heard his name come up earlier. I don't think anyone's going to say that Brad Johnson is a better better quarterback than Dan Marino. If they did, they'd be crazy. All right, so, uh, the point is, is Dan didn't win any Super Bowls. Dan played in the Super Bowl once. Dan, I mean, the last time he gets to the uh, AFC Championship game, he gets knocked out by Buffalo. That was after the '92 season. I mean, a lot of bad luck. We were talking about Ken Stabler in the '70s, running into a lot of good teams. Dan ran into a lot of good teams in the '80s, and just did not have a complete team around him. A lot of people are. I've seen a lot of people online uh, support the the argument that. Uh, Dan is more to blame by saying that he had the killer bees behind him. That killer bees team were, defense was already aging by the time that Marino is really like hit hitting his stride. He had some good pieces along the, the defensive line, but I don't think that the Blackwood brothers were the guys that you wanted to depend on, especially against Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. So and I just want to bring
2: up this. I want to just bring up this one last point because um, what you're saying, Keith, is all true. But I, I, this is where this is where the other part of that conversation that, that um, those comments come in is that we keep making excuses for Dan. And I just want to go out and, on the record here and say, no, we're not making excuses. We don't make these excuses any more than we make them for Tannehill. You would have to look at it and say, okay, was there ever a moment where Dan had the better team overall? And a lot of the times, the answer was no. He didn't have the better team overall. He was the better quarterback in the game, but the team around him. Eh, eh. And this is why it becomes a team game. Because if you have better players overall with a slightly worse quarterback, if you want to put if you want to put Dan Marino and Jim Kelly together um, separate from each other, and you're going to pick a quarterback just just in a vacuum, I would pick Dan Marino. He's the better pure passer, but Buffalo had a better team and a better running game and a better this and a better that. And okay. So who's going to win? Who do you think is going to win the game? I would say the better team. I'm going to root for my team, but I would say the better team is going to win. That's why I said the golden state warriors were going to win the finals this year. LeBron was the best player on the court at any given time. but he hadn't, he had a terrible team around him. Golden state was a team and they won as a team. <laughs> Yeah, that's, so we're not Buffalo making seems
1: excuses still, for Dan. Buffalo still gives me nightmares in a lot of ways. And no, I we're not making excuses for him. If you if you if we're just speaking just blatant cold hard facts, all right. I've I've been a Dolphins fan since uh, probably about 1988. In that time, from 1988 to the end of the 1999 season, I saw the Dolphins waste a golden opportunity with a once in a lifetime player. That's just the way it is. That's what I saw. Maybe other people saw it differently. I'm not making excuses for anyone. The, the defense they built up late would have been great in his career had they actually equipped him, with let, left him to his devices, let him throw the ball. I understand that it, oh, we haven't even factored in the fact that uh, arguably the season that was supposed to be his, 1993, he tears his Achilles against Cleveland. You know, when when he got hurt at that point in the season, the Dolphins were the best team in the league statistically, and I think that that was going to be the year. They played. They I remember they went to Buffalo that season and just absolutely put it on the Bills. Just I, I remember watching that game and thinking there's something to this because I mean that's the team that knocks them out of the AFC Championship game earlier earlier that year, or I say earlier in the calendar year, and they come back and they just go into a place. They go into a rich stadium, a place they were not very good and they just absolutely throttled Buffalo. And I thought, okay. And then he tears his Achilles, and now we'll never know. Because the Dolphins still almost made the – still on the – it took them losing to the New England Patriots, and then I think uh, they needed they needed the L.A. Raiders to beat Denver. And I think Denver won, and the, uh, the Dolphins missed the playoffs. So that's how good that team was that year. I feel like that was the team they needed around him. And, I mean, it didn't pan out. I mean, it's heartbreaking to think. But, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I've seen that. People, the, the claim that we're making excuses for Dan. We don't need to make excuses for Dan. Dan's career should speak for itself. But the fact that it doesn't and the fact that we have to have this discussion and defend him is mind-blowing. And I feel like if, if you make these kind of claims, then you just didn't watch him play. Because, like I said, not the greatest mind to ever play the game. I think he would have struggled in a Bill Walsh type system or any system uh, that you know predicated on you know even what Ryan Tannehill is doing. When Tannehill came in and was doing all his progression read stuff, that's not Dan's forte, and he'd be the first person to tell you that. But in terms of pure throwing ability and pure instinct from the pocket, Dan's the best I, I've ever seen. It's not even close.
2: Lack of, he didn't lack of have.
1: A, he, he didn't have the computer brain ahead. that Peyton Manning
2: had. He didn't have the no. computer brain like Peyton Manning had. He didn't have the. He didn't. He what he did cannot be recreated. That's another reason I find it laughable whenever somebody says that Dan Marino was teaching Ryan Tannehill how to play quarterback. Uh, no, absolutely not. Dan Marino knew, just knew where to go with the ball. That was it. That's that you can't really you cannot recreate Dan Marino. Dan Marino. I really believe there hasn't – I don't think there ever will be anybody else quite like Dan because what he could do with his – and, and I, I don't like to say it like this because it sounds bad, but his mental limitations, is like you said, it's not like he could just figure out how to run an offense and do a system like Tom Brady does. And I, I'm, I, I don't want to get into the Brady thing right now because I could go on for another half hour about how Brady doesn't do anything really special. But it's that you cannot recreate what Dan Marino did. I can't think of any quarterback no matter how much of a gunslinger he was or how much of a, a star he could have been. Brett Favre might just be the closest, but only in the sense that he was aggressive with his throws and he knew, and he was not afraid to give it a shot. He just threw a lot more interceptions than Dan because he didn't have that pure, that pure ability to just get the ball where it needed to go. No one, we, I don't think there will ever be anybody else quite like Dan. He had that, Incredible release. He just knew where to go with it, and it wasn't so much. He just it wasn't so much. He studied it. He just knew. It was instinctual. He had the greatest intangibles of any quarterback that ever played the game. I think, and you yeah, can't recreate just, it. Was that. great
1: feel. He played the game with great feel, and it's an a near impossible thing to do is play the game of football from the quarterback position with a great feel. The one reason I didn't have a problem with him working with Ryan Tannehill is I want, I believe the one thing that he can show him is better pocket awareness, how to feel things in the pocket. Cause Dan's mobility was always, you know, near non-existent and after the Achilles injury it was just absolutely gone. But the ability to be able to, to slide in the pocket, to feel things, to be able to just go ahead and just, if you need to step up, step to the side, what you need to do to avoid pressure and still get off a strong throw. I think that he could probably show him stuff with that. Cause even like, even though Dan didn't have the wheels, Dan, I mean, I remember watching him play. That guy was so hard to sack. And you could tell it really frustrated teams. And a lot of that had to do with the fact of that blinding release he had. But another reason for it is he was just so good in the pocket. He was smooth. Uh, the, his, he was efficient. I think that's probably the, the way I'd, I'd score it, is his footwork in the pocket was just, alarmingly efficient. It was outstanding. It was a pleasure to watch him play, and I feel like it's lost in a lot of people. I, if, you haven't seen, if for some reason you're a youngster and you haven't seen Dan Marino play, go on YouTube and watch some games. Even if it's a game that Dolphins lose, it's arguably you're going to see something that will blow your mind. Just playing the game with feel, and some of the throws he made were the most uncanny, Baldy throws I've ever seen, and I I know Duke wants to say something. I just want to bring this up. up. One of what
0: was that the what was that game we watched where we said he couldn't that it was it was almost as if he was challenging himself not to score inside the forty yard line. I think it was against Pittsburgh. I don't remember the year. We watched it on YouTube, and it was like every touchdown was from the other side of the field.
1: Oh, that was the um that was the eighty four championship game, Pittsburgh. Yeah, that was at that was at the Orange Bowl. Yeah, you're right. That was a game where it was like it was almost as if like you got less points if you scored from inside the forty. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot about that. My favorite, one of my favorite Marino moments, and it comes from the '99 season, his last year. Is I remember it, it was a they were playing in Indianapolis, and that was the the year where the Colts went from three and thirteen to thirteen and three. So the Colts are really good. They go in there. The Dolphins are losing near the end of the game. Dan takes them down the field. And like I said, this is in the RCA dome. And it's fourth down. And I remember he, he takes the snap and he throws this fade. And I think it was through a Ronde Gadsden. And Gadsden just goes up, just catches – I mean, just a perfect throw. And Gadsden catches it, and it's a touchdown – and Dan just kind of like takes his helmet off and walks off the field with this look like, I can't believe people thought I wasn't going to do that. Just like unbelievable confidence. Just, I mean, just takes a throw, makes an incredibly, one of the most difficult throws you can make in the NFL. And it wasn't like Gaston went up and just had incredible Megatron hops and nobody was going to hang with them. Dan just put it in a spot that, I mean, the defender was dead to rights. And it was just a great reminder that even in, you know, at that point, even in his very late 30s, that he just had that that X factor that made quarterbacks great.
0: My my favorite Marino moment, uh, my most memorable Marino moment is uh, a good friend of mine is a Bills fan and and I think they were I don't remember maybe in the Colts or the Bills I can't remember we were watching the game I think it was the last season <clears throat> and he got hit in the pocket and he was going down and he had the, still had the ball at his chest and he kind of made this weird like. Basketball, chest pass motion with the ball, and it barely went two feet. Like it just fell at his feet. It was it was as much of a fumble as you'll ever see, and it was ruled an incomplete pass. And you hear about the Jordan rules, the LeBron rules, or all these superstar rules in basketball, where guy gets hit at the half court, takes ten steps, and lays it up, and it's and an one play. That if there was ever a superstar call, that was it. Is like, we can't say Dan Reno fumbled the ball. That was an incomplete pass. It was, yeah, I, I mean, it was just, it, it was that kind of play. But I always remember that because we made fun of it for so long because it was the most unbelievable. You're like, no, nah, that's, that's a fumble. And they're like, incomplete pass. And we laughed about it. But that's how it was. It's just, it's Dan Marino. It's like, yeah, he's going to get that call because that's who he is. <laughs>
1: I love that we're talking about him like like, like this is a posthumous discussion or something. <laughs> but I mean he, he just he deserves all the respect he gets and then, and then more. I mean he was, he was he was my childhood idol. he was he was it for a reason just watching that guy play is uh I mean I won't I won't compa- I mean I I was really fortunate and I not to speak for Duke but I mean he was alive at the same time I was so I mean, he, we had the good fortune of seeing a lot of amazing things in sports. Like, we got to watch Michael Jordan play. You know, we got to see Dan Reno play the, play the quarterback position. And, unfortunately, a, a lot of things didn't work out, and he didn't get to a Super Bowl. But to say the guy wasn't good enough is wrong. To, say, to suggest that he wasn't anything less than a, you know anything short of a winner is ridiculous because I saw him split some serious throws during his time as a quarterback and it was awesome it used to be like just give the give him the ball inside the two minutes and you're asking for it a lot of people knew that so i mean we i'm glad we had this discussion and hopefully we brought some attention to his game that maybe people weren't already aware of it's hard to believe that people in south florida haven't seen everything that the, that guy had to offer but i mean stranger things have happened
0: and yeah, sometimes you kind of forget about things, you know. You you, you watch, you know, as Lewis talking about the NBA Finals, and you see LeBron, and, I mean, you know, there's always a discussion, you know, him or Jordan, who's better, whatever else. And to take the team, to, to put that team around him, if he had been a lesser player, they don't even make the playoffs. I mean, they, they made the finals because of LeBron's greatness. But it's times like that when you see that stuff, you kind of look back on things and say, hey, you know, I, I kind of forgot how Jordan used to play. Let's go back and look at some highlights and realize this. So maybe this discussion makes people go back and look at Marino and say, hey, I forgot about that stuff. Let's uh, watch or, or, you know, even introduce some new fans to it. But one, one thing that I want to reiterate is I think a lot of this comes from, you know, we talk about people making excuses for, for Marino and all these artists. It's the same stuff you hear with Tannehill. Now, obviously, he's going to get more criticism because he's not made the playoffs yet. But I think a lot of the stems from it's the same stuff you hear about Ryan Tannehill. And I think the people that are, that are perpetrating this stuff against Ryan Tannehill, I think they just dove in a little too deep. And they said, well, see, this argument works for everybody. See, it even works for Marino. And they're kind of like, oh, crap, i just done it now. And they kind of, as I think Greg Likens put it on the FI Insiders podcast, you lose credibility when you say stuff like that. I don't care how you spin it afterwards. You just lose credibility. You can't make a statement like that. I mean, if I came out and said Ryan King was the greatest quarterback that ever played, people would going to be like, you're an idiot. Well, when you go out and say Demarino wasn't good enough, you're going to get the same response. You're an idiot. So if anybody pays attention to these people, but anyone that says something like that, that's your own fault. I mean, you know, you know, you don't have no one else to blame but yourself for, for paying attention
1: to that kind of garbage. Can agree. I absolutely agree. I think the biggest difference between Jordan's game and LeBron's just because I feel like making this statement, I feel like LeBron's more of a forces of nature type player. I think he's so big and so fast and so strong that, I mean, he can just take it to the hole at will, and it's just really hard to get in his way. Uh, I think that there was more of a grace with Jordan's game because he was not the largest or the fastest individual on the court. Uh, But I, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I know that we have a lot of LeBron fans who listen to this. LeBron's not even in the same ballpark as Michael Jordan yet. And, and I'm not going to say he needs to win six championships to do it. It's the fact that Jordan had a psychological edge in his game that I don't think anyone... I, I think we'll, we'd be hard-pressed to see that replicated during our lifetime. Jordan was just a, a winner I'm on the verge of insanity in terms of being a winner.
2: He was,
0: and he, he took out, yeah, ultra 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 competitive. My uh, my calculus teacher in high school went to uh, college at the same time Jordan was there, and he said he walked into the student center and Jordan was in the in in there trying to hustle people to pool. Um, I mean, I don't know LeBron's mentality. I don't know what, what, anything about that, but. I do know just some stories like that that LeBron uh, that Jordan he he wanted to destroy you he did not he did not you know I think for me LeBron lost lost something when he went to the to the Heat.
2: Um, I agree,
0: and that's and that comes from watching Jordan. Jordan didn't want to join teams with anybody else. He wanted he wanted you know it should have been the other way around. Somebody should have joined his team, and so I think a lot of Jordan fans kind of looked at that as. um you know, him not having that same kind of thing that Jordan had. But that, that's just how Jordan was. He, he, he wanted to kill you. And I put something on Facebook about it because I had some friends that were discussing it. I said, if you had to take Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron into a back alley fight with you, um, I said, LeBron would beat the other guys up. And then he'd turn around and give you a high five. Kobe would go in and beat the guys up. He would look at you and shake, your, shake his head like, why didn't, you, why didn't you pull your own weight? And Jordan would go in there and beat the other guys up, then stab you and take your wallet. That's just that's the difference between the three of them. He was just so competitive that he wanted to beat you anything. I remember watching his Hall of Fame speech, and even then, it was kind of like he was taking jabs at everybody. He's like, "I'm the greatest. I know I am. I don't have to say it." Yeah, he I can was. Beat you right now. I think he even said uh, recently, it was in the Charlotte papers that he didn't want to he didn't want to uh, play one on one against some of the uh, Hornets players because he could still beat them. That's just how he is. He's going to be that guy in wheelchair at the wheelchair at the nursing home or wherever that's going to try to outrace you to the cafeteria because that's just who he is. And I think that gets lost because I think social media now, because that stuff didn't exist in the 90s. I remember commercials, you know, Be Like Mike. I mean, he was a hero to everyone.
1: And if, Oh, he was.
0: His mentality, the stuff that I've read about him now, if he was, if he was a current basketball player, he, he'd be villainized just because of the top person he is, but
1: his fame was like Michael Jackson level, just on a, just Jordan's time in the NBA. I mean, that guy existed on a different plane from everyone else. And I love the point you made about, he didn't want to play on teams with uh, the league's best players. He wanted to, he just wanted to vanquish those guys. He just wanted to take them out. And he took out a lot of great teams, you know, Uh, and not single handedly. I mean, the, when, when he's, when he finally has a capable team around him and Scottie Pippin's evolved into one of the league's best players, you know, those guys, they snuffed out the bad boy Pistons and then uh, Showtime Lakers in one fell swoop uh, in that, that 91 playoff. Uh, and then, you know, taking out the 92 Blazers was impressive, but taking out that 93 Suns team was really impressive. And even more so the fact that they had just gotten done snuffing the 93 Knicks, which was a very good team. So I mean, and there's really, a lot okay, of them. But if there
0: was one Sorry. regret from the Jordan era, is I wish, I wish we could have gotten to watch the Bulls and Rockets, because um, you know the Bulls would have been back. And I, I tried to explain this to my brother, because um, he was he was a uh, kid at the time, he's several years younger than me. And I said we were talking about the NBA. And I said, "Well, the Bulls will be in the final." He says, "How do you know that?" I said, "Just trust me I know. He said, "You can't know that." I said, yeah, I think the Bulls would be in the finals. And they always were. But I wish we would have got to watch Hakeem and the Rockets versus Jordan and the Bulls. I think that would have been uh, epic battles there. That would have been, uh, I think I think basketball fans got robbed of that.
1: Yeah, and that arguably would have been the Bulls' greatest uh, matchup or biggest threat, I think, because, I mean, that's the one thing that I've seen people bring up with Jordan's legacy is that Rarely did he have to take out a team with a dominant big man. But, I mean, they do play the Orlando Magic in 96. That 72-10 and 10 Bulls team sweeps them after the Magic eliminated them right after, Bull, right after Jordan reti- uh, returned from retirement. Uh, they play in 95, and the Magic, I, the Magic took them out in six. So, I mean, they play the next year. The Bulls sweep them, just absolutely eat them alive. So, I mean, I don't know, but I do think that uh, Houston and Chicago in 94 would have been pretty impressive. That certainly would have been a great series. Even though I mean, Knicks-Rockets wasn't too bad either, and I did enjoy watching the, the Knicks go down in flames in seven games. I thought that was extremely uh, entertaining, especially with how terrible John Starks was in game seven, which a lot of people are looking at it and thinking, oh, who's John Starks? But...
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think it's something else that's lost on a lot of young- younger. If they're not going back on YouTube, a lot of fans remember the fat Shaq from the Lakers and the, uh, like the, the early 2000s and even into the Miami Heat. I don't think they remember the 92 Shaq when he came out. First of all, the, one of the biggest travesties ever was that the Dream Team had Christian Leitner on it, who was arguably a better college player, but they had him instead of Shaq. Uh, anyway, a lot of people don't remember the youngster. He was like a 7'2 LeBron. I mean that guy could move. He wasn't as fast as LeBron obviously, but he was just he was a force of nature that could not be dealt with. Uh, and I remember you watched every game to see if a backboard was coming down. And I can't remember which game it was, but I remember watching it and he dunked on one and he pulled it and the whole system just collapsed. Um and then they had Penny Hardaway and that was that was fun to watch. Now I miss his old the old NBC, NBA on NBC days. Um yeah, that was a that that was a good time. So, yeah, it wasn't like Jordan was going up against the fat Shaq that didn't move and couldn't foul shots. So he was actually going up against what? a much more athletic Shaq at the time.
1: What was the biggest travesty in your mind? The fact uh what you just mentioned with the dream team, or the fact that we could have had Chris Weber and Shaquille O'Neal on the same team?
0: <sighs> Man, uh that
1: that's because that, in my opinion, I'm not an Orlando Magic fan by any stretch, but I still, for the life of me, cannot see what they saw in Anthony Hardaway over Chris Weber
0: Yeah, Chris Weber was he, he was he was a unique basketball player, uh, and um, he, he was that that Fab Five. This is a whole whole other discussion that we could get into for for another hour about uh, them, but. Um, yeah, he was a very good NBA player, and I think, he, you know, injuries kind of sacked him there toward the end, and I think those Kings teams from the early 2000s, they were robbed so bad.
1: Um, I oh, yeah, that 2002, 2002 team was just absolutely...
0: And, uh, the only other shot that I have ever seen, in my opinion, that was as big was, uh, the, uh, Ray Allen shot for the Heat a couple years ago, um... But, the um, yeah, but those teams, were so they were so fun to watch. They were the, uh, the 99 Rams of the basketball. Um, you had uh, Jason Williams that was uh, just throwing the ball everywhere, making these no-look passes. You had Weber, and you had DeVos, and you could run that – they had, had that high-low post system that was just so fun to watch, and they could do anything they wanted to. And uh, they should have beaten that Lakers team. And then there was that one bad officiating game, and – Oh, just that's, that's yeah. the that was
1: the worst called series I have ever watched in my life. That 2002 Western Conference final was terrible, and it, yeah, it should have been the Sacramento Kings. And I understand that you would have had the Sacramento Kings playing the New Jersey Nets, which would have been a terrible final. But the, those Kings teams were good. Yeah, and I mean that would have been I would have enjoyed it. I understand it's not L.A. and uh, New Jersey, but yeah, that that series was an absolute travesty, and I just. I never really had an issue with the Lakers, but those early two thousand teams were extremely hateable. Mm-hmm. I even stand as to the point where I I remember in two thousand four when they played the Pistons, and I was all about the Pistons in that series. And I hate the Detroit Pistons, but oh, yeah. I was I mean in that series, I just so desperately wanted to see Detroit just tear those guys down.
0: And it's so that's like something basketball is kind of missing now is you don't really have a team that people hate. Um,
2: they hate the Heat.
0: Yeah, and I, that was the closest you've you came to you've come to it in recent years. Is and I think it's because of LeBron. I don't think people hate the Heat now because he's not on there. I think they just hated LeBron. Um, but I mean, you still don't have these teams like the uh, like the early like the, the bad boys of the Pistons or the early. Uh, I always I hated the Knicks in the early nineties, and then you got yeah, the Lakers teams. Uh, those Lakers teams, and they were just detestable. Like, you wanted them to lose, and they wouldn't lose. They're like the Patriots. You hate the Patriots. You hate watching the Patriots win. There was nothing more depressing than watching that undrafted cornerback intercept that ball in the end zone. It was like you had this whole buildup. The Seahawks are going to win. The Patriots are going to lose. You want to see the Tom Brady sad face, and it doesn't happen. I turned off the TV. I couldn't watch it anymore. It was depressing. And that's how those early basketball, basketball teams were. You hated them. The only thing that kept the Knicks from being great was Jordan destroying them all the time. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of Cavs hate going into the finals because people don't like LeBron, but I just don't see a team out there that's just kind of like, yeah, we're the bullies on the block and we're going to, we're going to stomp a mud hole when you're in. Your end. And then, you know, that's how those other teams work. And I think, <laughs> I think sports needs that, so to speak. I mean, in baseball, he's kind of got the Yankees that a lot of people don't like. He's got, um, you know, you've got the Patriots and some of these other teams that you don't like, and there's rivalries in football. I also don't see that right now in basketball, where you have this team that's just, I mean, maybe it's the Heaters, but you kind of respect them, you know?
1: Yeah, I think the Heat were close. Um, I always thought it was weird to hate a team with Chris Bosh, because he just seems like such a nice guy. Um, I can understand hating Dwayne Wade. I thought Dwayne Wade was, a, was pretty much a jerk when he was playing for Marquette. And they like when they just bulldozed through the uh, the 2003 tournament. Uh, one of my favorite sports memories, speaking of the Yankees, is the 2003 World Series. And the fact that you get these underdog Marlins that, I mean, on, on the back of, and I mean, trust me when I say that being a Marlins fan in Chicago in October 2003 was one of the most awkward things uh-huh. And uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> look, look, for the record
2: out there,
0: there was about 10 other sets of hands going for that baseball. It just happened to hit. Oh, yeah. Partner. That was, <laughs> hey, you know, wasn't. Oh, people he... villainized that guy to the point. I think he had to leave town, and that was so dumb. The guy beside him was like, hey, you caught that ball. You shouldn't have let him do it while you were sticking your hand out trying to catch the ball. What a load of crap that was.
1: Well, so my story with that, because I, I totally agree that there is a, a bunch of stuff that went on. Because if you live around Chicago, the the Cubs are just looked at as a cursed franchise, and anything it's it's almost like uh, Murphy's Law has just taken the field wearing baseball mitts with those guys. Because whatever can go wrong with them will go wrong. So I, I grew up. I mean, I've been a Marlins fan since their inception, so in nineteen ninety three, uh, just like the the Panthers and. Uh, so, I mean, the, the 97 World Series was a great surprise, but I remember in 2003, it's my first year of college that fall, and for uh, I had a roommate who was just a diehard Cubs fan. And I remember the night before game one where, like, I was falling asleep and he was telling me about how bad the Cubs were just going to tear the Marlins apart. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good series. I don't know if I'd be that confident. But, so, I mean, it, it goes to 3-1. In fact, it throws the the shout out in game five at uh, a pro player or if you just want to call it joe robbie which i usually do and then i for game six i don't know why i did this but i went to an apartment party because everyone thought the the cubs were going to clinch that because they had mark fryer on the mound you know that guy was pretty much automatic at that point and i wore a marlin shirt i had like this really ugly orange florida marlin shirt that i War, just to kind of troll people, I guess. I don't know. 19 year old me was far more aggressive than the 31 year old version. So I went to this apartment party, and I, you know, Marlins are losing. I mean, it's 3 nothing. Everyone's laughing at me, uh, making like snide comments and everything. And then, so in the eighth, when you got Luis Castillo up the bat and he hits that ball and the whole Bartman thing happens, like I said, I'm familiar with the Cubs history. I know that this is in the back of everyone's mind, and at any second, this thing to derail and turn into an absolute dumpster fire and when the <laughs> bartman, when, when the bartman thing happened i remember looking at that and then i saw that they were showing like i saw a Moises' a lose reaction i'm like man that guy's losing his mind and then i remember they started showing the clip of everyone in the in Wrigley field and they just, they all have this look on their face and they're thinking the exact same thing i'm thinking like this is where things this is where things go south and i remember at that point before Luis castillo even took another pitch i was like should i leave this party like i, I like i need to get out of here but for some reason i stayed and of, co- of course it just turns into it an absolute slaughter and i like it's a miracle i survived it that night but yeah so uh, i remember just watching it and i knew it was going to happen even before castillo took another pitch I was like, this is not going to end well for Chicago. And, of course, like, like you mentioned, the whole Bartman thing, everyone blames him. No one ever blames the fact that that was the second consecutive uh, postseason in which Dusty Baker's team floated, just absolutely folded in on itself. Nobody mentions the fact that after the Bartman thing, what, you got the whole stadium is buzzing. They know that they're about to get absolutely annihilated by this, this team. Like, Dusty Baker doesn't go out and talk to Mark Pryor, who's still a kid at that point. He's so young. Uh, And then then the shortstop...
0: And the box double play, yeah.
1: Yeah, just just boots the ball. Just straight-up boots it. Uh, So, I mean, I I remember watching... ESG had this show that was called uh, Five Reasons You Can't Blame. They actually had one for Dan Marino. It was Five Reasons You Can't Blame Dan Marino for not winning a Super Bowl. And they had one for uh, Five Reasons You Can't Blame uh Steve Bartman for the Cubs losing the two thousand three NLCS, and they had they were talking to a couple of people, uh, the guys who were uh, uh, like in the Marlins bullpen, hanging out and everything, and in the dugout, and one of them was uh, uh, Mark Redmond and uh, he said that when the Bartman thing happened, they all looked at each other and were like, "Let's make him famous," and then proceeded to do just that. So I always thought that was interesting, but yeah, I can. Yeah. Probably for about ten days after that, because I, mean, I mean the Marlins are in the World Series. I'm going to wear their stuff. I was really excited about that team, but it was so awkward wearing Marlins gear anywhere. Around the park. Every everywhere I went, I thought I was going to be beaten to death with a table leg.
0: Yeah, and then of course the same series, you know, something similar happened to the ALCS. I was working third shift at the time, and I was on a break, and I had a computer in the Having the break room, so I got on the internet and I saw where Aaron Boone had hit that home run. It just because I hate the Yankees and growing up in North Carolina, you know, you didn't really have any natural teams to pull for, uh, professionally. And uh, my mom and dad had one of those big, gigantic satellites that I can, you know, pick up information from that uh, (laughs) Pluto flyby at this point, but uh. We had a station, and I got to watch some Red Sox games and different things. So I kind of always liked the Red Sox. So after that, I was like, I- I'm going to pull for them next year. Well, then they had, you know, the 2004 ALCS. Well, they went down 3-0, and then those games were just so fun to watch. That was probably that the best was incredible. That was the best ALCS I've ever watched. The best World Series that I can recall was the 2001 uh, with the back from the Yankees.
1: Team. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm with you uh, on that one.
0: I mean, the Yankees had just been plowing through people like the previous years. They'd just been killing everybody. And then you had you know, the September 11th attacks and you had all that stuff. It. it was just a huge event. And I remember I was in college at the time and I was in an apartment uh, with some friends and we were on the top apartment. It was like three levels and we were on the top one. And when uh, Luis Gonzalez hit that little blueprint and, and scored, and see, the only thing people realize is. Nobody ever scored on Mariano Rivera unless he pitched in the eighth inning if he pitched more than one inning, he was vulnerable. It just always seemed that way, but if he came in in the ninth, it was over, you know, but uh he, he pitched in the eighth, got out of it he uh it came in in the ninth and, and they they scored, and I remember jumping and screaming, and I said Mario like, i like, can you just shut up because you're gonna wake people up and I like, i don't care um
1: yeah, I'll that never was, forget uh, that game. That was a Sunday night, and uh, young, young Kim,
0: uh, that poor guy got shelled. I guess out of baseball, um, who <laughs> was, I can't remember who who was that hit the home runs all home because when it, when that guy came in, it was it was kind of like <laughs> like that Cubs thing or something. Like that guy's gonna get shelled. Sure enough, he did. You just remember him. He, he threw the pitch, and he squatted down on the mound, and he had this look on his face like, "Not me again." It was sad.
1: Yeah. That game that game six was just an absolute slaughter. And then I remember yeah watching game seven and it was just weird to watch the World Series in November at that point, which I mean was made you just mentioned was made possible by the fact that uh September eleventh and everything. Uh I honestly thought that game was over when Alfonso Soriano hit that home, that go ahead home run off Kurt Schilling. And then like you said, uh, usually you felt better about Mariano Rivera if he was pitching uh two innings and I remember going into that ninth inning with just the worst feeling. Cause I mean that, I agree that that world series really felt like uh, just an absolute heavyweight slugfest between two really good teams. And then, I mean, Mark Grace is the first batter up and he just gets like a a real easy, like bloop single off of Mariano Rivera. And when you saw him give up such an easy hit, you think about it and you're like, well, maybe there's something to, You know, maybe something's going to happen here, you know, and then uh, Tony Womack is the one who who ties the game because he he smokes that one down the first baseline when they tie it. And I'll I'll give Arizona credit. I know that the Phoenix areas, uh, they take a lot of crap for not being, you know, it's a transplant area, not a lot of great fans there and whatnot. But that place was absolutely just going out of its mind when that team tied the game up in the bottom of the ninth. So I agree. That's, that would probably be my number one, too. I thought, just going off the top of my head, I thought that um, I thought the, the World Series we just watched in uh, 2014 was really good. And honestly, I mean, that was a, an example of the Royals really should have won that World Series and should have won that Game 7. And the fact that you had Madison Bumgarner come in and just absolutely dominate that game on short rest, it almost felt unfair. That felt like some sort of cheat code that you would use in a game <laughs> to get that guy back. I almost like I'm not, I'm by no stretch, a, a Royal fan, but I kind of felt bad for them because honestly, if it had been anyone but that guy, I think Kansas city wins that game and the series. So, uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of great. Uh, I, I love what,
0: this world series. Um, I don't know what, I I can remember several several good ones from the, the previous years. I mean I think the uh the O four ALCS was better than the O four World Series. I think both of them were actually both uh LCS were were pretty good because you had the Astros and the Cardinals and I think they went game seven as well and had some late game heroic. Um, overall it was a great series and then the and the World Series kind of anticlimactic. Of course you had you know the Red Sox singing the curse and all that stuff. It is like when the ball was hit to him to the pitcher, it, it was almost kind of like, please don't fumble the ball, but then and it was kind of like, well, you kind of expected it because they were up so big and stuff. 3-0, and it was pretty good. I, I think, I remember the 91 World Series with the Twins. I thought that was a pretty good game. That
1: was game. a great game. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, and I remember the, I, I still believe Sid Bream was out at home plate. I will argue that. Uh, I mean, I need to see more definitive evidence than what that video shows. Yep. I'll my track for weeks. I thought he was Yeah, the good was, were robbed in that game. Was, yeah, I thought he was out. Uh, and, 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 of course, that was Dave Bonds making that throw. And you know, I think, didn't he leave after that season? Go to the Giants. Um, yeah. I, I thought Sid Brand was out. But, you know, of course, around here, at the Braves are big stuff, so that was a big deal. But uh, he's out in my mind.
1: And talk about squandering so many opportunities. We've only got about two and a half minutes left. The show went pretty quick. But uh, the Atlanta Braves put together so many great teams in the 90s. And the fact that they only won once and they had to play Cleveland to do it, it's just unbelievable. But, I mean, you look at, again, a lot of bad luck. They ran into some good teams. They ran into an absolute juggernaut in the 92 Blue Jays. Those, I mean, it seems weird I, to talk about the early 90s Blue Jays as a juggernaut, but those 92 and 93 teams, and the 91 team was really good, too. They lost to the Twins in the ALCS that year. But, I mean, those teams were awesome. Just top to bottom, just loaded with. I mean, you know, a lot of Hall of Fame talent, a lot of great pitching. Those guys were. I I actually I, I grew up loving the Blue Jays. I still like that team a lot. So that's my one. Uh, my one uh, tip of the hat. For I remember Canada. Uh, I remember watching
0: Mitch Williams play for the Rangers. That was a rookie. In <laughs> a little uh, my, a little bit of my age there.
1: Uh, for those of the, for those of you who don't. Mitch Williams was the, the pitcher uh, who gave up the walk-off home run to Joe Carter in uh, game six in the 93 series. And I, it used to drive me nuts how when that guy pitched the ball on his follow-through, he'd always kind of, like, collapse to, the, collapse to the mound. He'd almost, like, fall. That just drove me nuts to watch. But, yeah, that guy, I felt bad for him after that game. So Philadelphia's not really a city where you want to lose, lose the World Series.
2: So we can wrap this all up by mm-hmm. basically saying all of these examples that you guys just gave, all it does is illustrate our main point for this whole hour-and-a-half show <laughs> is that it's not always the best player who wins the game. It's the best team that is surrounding those the rest of the players, and that is the bottom yeah. line. The best team wins the game, not the best player.
0: And
1: if you're to attack,
0: attack a legendary player, you better know your history, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. what did they say? You better come correct. I feel so weird talking like that. But, uh, so, I mean, that, that's, uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks again to uh, Duke and Lewis, uh, my co-hosts for tonight. Kevin didn't call in. I'm a little disappointed because I know he's a Red Sox fan. And probably would want to talk about the Spurs, too. So, um, listeners, and um, we'll do this again uh, next Thursday. Have a great night. Good night, everyone. Good night.
2: my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown forecast i keep telling you we're not voltron the shutdown forecast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love tennessee batman homeowners associations It's not Voltron.